The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning, all. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified. Today, my guest is former New York... Um, New York Police Department cop and New York PI, Ron Alvarez. And we're going to be talking about tracking Nigerian fraudsters. Good morning, Ron. Good morning, Francie. Thanks for uh, having me on. Oh, this is great. This is such a great topic. So Nigerian scamsters defraud citizens around the world of billions of dollars. It's difficult to understand why people get drawn into these financial pretexts. Uh, it's hard for me to understand. But let's, before we get into that, though, Ron, let's talk about you. So okay. I've, already, <laughs> I've already said you're a PI and a former New York police officer. When did you first join the department? Uh, well, I started in the, uh, the early 80s, and uh, right after I was discharged from the Marine Corps, and um, I spent 20 years. Um, of course, um, at the beginning, I started on patrol, and then about the three years into it, I was in uh, various investigative uh, units, uh, robbery squad and narcotics and uh, and then I <clears throat> I was promoted to sergeant. I ended up in uh, internal affairs, and uh, and then worked on a, a mayor's commission that was set up to investigate the corruption and misconduct in the New York City uh, school system. So I spent about a year and a half there, and then uh, I was promoted to lieutenant and ended up in uh, other uh, investigative positions, uh, some internal work. Uh, some fine art investigating work, mm. and then I finally uh, retired. Interesting. And you retired when? I retired in 2000. Okay. And yeah. working uh, under the police commissioner, is, it, is that like blue bloods or is it completely different? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so it is, as a matter of fact. Um, <laughs> I, um, I actually at one point worked the blue blood character that Tom Selleck plays as a four-star chief, uh-huh. And uh, actually, that's called the chief of department in the NYPD. They call it a commissioner on the show. But it's actually the highest rank in uniform p- uh, position. But in the NYPD, the, a civilian is actually the head of the department. But I worked directly for the chief of department towards the end of my career. So I worked for Tom Selleck. It, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's very good. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That, I mean, and that sounds like it was an interesting process. Completely, kind of much different than regular police work, wasn't it? Well, yeah that that job was that job was um, you know the official title was the uh, I was the operations coordinator for that unit and 
And there was always, every day was uh, full of activity because uh, anything that was high profile goes through that office. And uh, so it was always, there was always something going on just about every day and a lot of long hours, uh, as uh, you, might, you might expect. Yeah, exactly. And now when did you graduate from the FBI Academy? Ah, I, um, I graduated from the FBI Academy in 1996. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, that's a program, not many people realize that the FBI Academy has basically three major training programs. They train new agents, new FBI mm-hmm. agents. They train new DEA, DEA agents. But mm-hmm. they also have a program that they started in 1935 for local state law enforcement and international law enforcement to attend a three-month program of training. So that's called the FBI National Academy, that program. So I attended that, and my, my, my classmates were from all parts of the country and, and several parts of the world. So it was quite an experience. And it's located in Quantico as, as well? That's right. It's in Quantico. Yep. Yeah, interesting. Um, and how long is that class? It's a three-month three month course. And you yes. actually live there for the three months. You have a roommate. And uh, you have a uniform that they give you, and uh, you go from class to class. <laughs> Just like going to college. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Good. Okay, so then you, then you got your BA in government and public administration. When did you do that? Right, that was, uh, that was 1994, um, John Jay College of Criminal Justice uh, here in New York City. And, uh, and I completed my degree. I was going to school as I was on the job. And uh, and I got it done in '94. That must be rough. It was. <laughs> <laughs> upside to a, a college like John Jay in New York is that they they offer the courses during the day. The same teacher will teach the course during the day and at night. Uh-huh. So depending on your shift at work, you can actually make the class. You don't have to have a steady shift to actually wow. make the class with your teachers. So they really That's accommodate cool. law enforcement. That's terrific, because that's the hardest part is the shift changes, isn't it? That is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no doubt. The days changing and the, and, and the shifts, although I did have various positions that were Monday through Friday at one point and, uh, and steady hours at one point, so it wasn't around the clock throughout my career. Yep. Yeah, interesting. Well, good for you. I mean, you've, you've achieved a lot, and we're happy to have you in the, in the PI community now. It's good to be here. <laughs> <laughs> so you're working for XG Consultants in New York City. Uh, what, what kind of work do they do? Right. Well, um, XG Consultants uh, Group, is, um, it was started by a retired FBI agent, Rodney Davis, and he did about 30 years in the Bureau, and he started his company in 2002. And, um, you know, he does a variety of different types of investigations. It can be uh, fraud cases. It can be criminal defense at times. Um, he also has a pretty, pretty extensive and uh, developed background investigations uh, part of the company with several people working on cases and background analysts and so forth uh, that are both national and international. So he's really... In the 12 years, he's, he's really built a pretty substantial, uh, you know, boutique uh, PI firm. Interesting. And so this um, Nigerian or what we call the 419 scammers, is that, uh, are you doing that as part of, under his company? 
That's exactly right. Okay. He, he right. actually, the attorneys reached out to him. They heard of Rod, Rodney's, uh, Rodney Davis's reputation, and they reached out to him and, uh, uh, you know, retained XG Consultants Group, and then Rodney invited me, because I've done work for Rodney since 2007, uh-huh. As a PI, so he invited me to participate in this case, and and I've been working on it ever since. Okay, maybe you'd like to give their website if people are interested oh, in looking sure. at them. Um, it would be info i n f o at xgconsultantsgroup.com. dot com. Okay, uh, that sounds like an email. Do they also have a website? Oh yes, <laughs> of course. Uh, I think it's just x. Uh, www.xgconsultants.com. Okay. Uh, right, okay. that's the website. So if nothing I else, my you business could, card. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. You could you could Google XG Consultants. That's correct. XG, and, Consultants, XG Group. Consultants Group. Okay, right. New York City. Very yeah. good. And the the way I discovered you, Ron, was through PI Magazine. And let me just give a shout out to Jimmy and Rosemary Messis, they're proprietors of PI Magazine. And if you don't know about PI Magazine, go to www.pimagazine.com. So these Nigerian scams, we call them that, but we, as you and I were talking offline, we just call them that. It's The scams are worldwide now. Right. Yes, they, they are. Yeah, and they touch people from all walks of life, don't they, Ron? They, yeah, they really do. There's no, uh, there really is no part of this world, any developed part of the world that isn't, where there aren't victims uh, from various walks of life of this scam. It's, uh, it's very broad. It runs into the billions uh, worldwide that, that, uh, that these fraudsters take in. Uh, so it's a huge, it's a huge problem. And what what's the attraction? Well, the the pitch usually it usually starts with an email, and many of us have seen these emails. And on occasion, before I started, you know, my involvement in this case, I saw these emails, and and most of us realize that there's something not right about it, and we just hit the delete button. Mm-hmm. But uh, others are kind of pulled in by an opportunity to. It's either a business opportunity to get involved in, in kind of uh, making an investment of some sort and getting an incredible return, or um, you know it could be it could be uh, helping a person that's in need, allegedly in need, and uh, in order for you to help in your in the process of helping this person, then you will get uh, a certain amount of money, and it's it's usually in the millions. The pitch mm-hmm. is often in the millions, uh, and sometimes it's romance. It's, uh, you know, there's your, your, the victim is approached on, online by somebody, and uh, as the victim gets to know that person, and they, the, the fraudster will then start to ask the victim to send money for one reason or another. Um, so it, it happens for various reasons. But what I, what I came to what we've come to be working on mostly is advanced fee fraud, uh, which is where the victim is, is pits the opportunity, and once they, once they respond to the email, um, eventually what happens is the fraudster will ask the victim to uh, send 
money to finalize the process. There will be these fees for one thing or another, mm-hmm. and the fees can be any number of things that are all bogus. They're all you know, fraudulent fees. They don't exist, uh, but, to pay off, but if you pay off these fees, then you'll eventually get the $10 million or $20 million or $30 million. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, is that once, once the victim has sent any money yeah, they're hooked. They're hooked. Exactly <laughs> right, Francie. They're hooked. So where do they get these emails? Well, the emails, the emails are all just, um, they're, they're actually very artistic in some ways because they're, they're created, they have a government look or a company look, and they look very official. And uh, they're very convincing when you see these emails. And... Uh, so these sportsters have access to these emails uh, wherever they acquire them through, you know, other sportsters, whatever their uh, whatever their source is, and then they just and they just start to bombard the victim. Once you answer the first email, they just won't let up, and they'll just keep on pitching you and convincing you, mm-hmm. and really trying to get you to trust them because it mm-hmm. really is a psychological. Scheme more than anything. I mean, you're you're losing money, but they've really kind of entered your mind, and uh, and they they've convinced you that they actually exist uh, in some official capacity when they don't. You know, it's it seems like a kind of a version of a Ponzi scheme. In yeah, a way, you can, you can right. There's something. There's some similarity there. No, absolutely. I mean, it's all. I mean, it's all in the imagination. Um, the only thing about a Ponzi scheme, as I understand it, is that the you know the victims often get a return for a period of time. Right, right, right. But with um, with this, there's never any. You never get any money. Uh, about the only situation we saw with one victim where they got a few dollars was was they tested the bank account. You know the the thirty million dollars that was supposed to go to the account. They wanted to test the victim's account, so they sent them fifty bucks. Oh, right. right. <laughs> yeah, and great. that's all he ever saw. And, uh, and he actually lost hundreds of thousands of dollars before it was all over. But the 50 bucks convinced him that it was a real deal. Exactly. It was part of the, yeah. it was part of the, uh, the, the narrative, you know. It's kind of like this story. And, and they seem to be able to track when you're starting to get suspicious and when you start to be pulling away and then they... Then they'll hit you with another reason for another fee, and and if you do this or do that, then mm-hmm. then the money, the fortune is going to be released to you. Yeah. Uh, so there's always they always have. It really is only limited by the Fortzer's imagination. Uh, they can come up with any story they want to, but they have documents, and they're very good at this. They're 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 really professionals. They know what they're doing. Yeah. Well. Uh, Ron, you sent me a clip, uh, an ABC News clip uh, by uh, Brian Ross, Brian Investigations. Ross. Yeah, and I th- and I actually had seen that clip. This is where they actually uh, lured this Nigerian guy to um, to the United States and set him up. And he That's was right. in, in that case, he was uh, saying that they needed some kind of needed money for some kind of chemical to wash this money that was now black that turned out to be construction paper. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, so, that's one of their that's one of their scams. They call it the the black ink scam. 
And, That's pretty uh, creative. That's pretty creative. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty. And, and, I know for, and I know a victim that literally spent each bottle uh, was, uh, the price was $60,000. Each uh, bottle of chemical? A bottle of chemical to clean oh, yes. off uh, the, the money. And, uh, and he thought that he would have millions once he cleaned it off. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, it's amazing. So are these scammers also trolling for email addresses? I mean, are they, how is that happening? Where do they get the email addresses so they can send you something? Yeah. From what I understand, uh, Francie, they, um, they have these certain programs called extractor programs where they can get these lists. Uh, okay. Different emails, and but also, I mean, they're they're looking they're looking on the internet, and they're looking at Facebook, all these social media sites, and their their strategy usually usually is to try to try to make a connection with you. If you're if you're a teacher, they might they might appeal to to you because they're claiming to be a teacher, or they. Mm-hmm. Or they know somebody that worked with you that you, of course, don't have access to. Uh, if you're a doctor, there's going to be some kind of conversation along those lines. If you're, believe it or not, an accountant or a businessman, they're going to try to. Um, so they'll just look at these various sites and just try to pick up things that they can then uh, develop and try to uh, get into your get into your life, get you mm-hmm. to respond. Mm-hmm. So it's um, they're pretty yeah it's pretty sophisticated how they go about it. Interesting. So um, you talked about this advanced fee fraud. Are they are they all set up with advanced fee fraud, or are some of them, do some of them have other uh, kinds of methods? Um, <clears throat> well, the advanced fee fraud is is the one that. Um, <clears throat> That that we're most uh, you know familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that you know with ro- with romance. Um, of course, there's no advanced fee process there. Right. But the those are the, the those same. are sad. The you romance know. ones are really sad. Yeah, it really it's awful. And what they yeah. what what has happened to people that have stumbled into that is really terrible. But the the promise, of course, there is you know is is true love. Mm-hmm. If you continue to help, to help this this fraudster, who let's take Ron. Let's take a quick break right here because I sure. want, we want to get talk more about this one. Just okay. pause briefly and stay tuned. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com IRB Focus, created by IRB Search, brings together the best data in an entirely new system. New features and data, all in a responsive format, gives professional investigators a better tool to close cases. The Just Launch Connections Network even gives secure opportunities for collaboration and job referrals. Learn more about IRB Focus at irbsearch.com or call us at 1-800-447-2112 to get started. 
Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. New York licensed P.I. Ron Alvarez is my guest today. We're discussing the Nigerian scams and just left off at the break with talking about the romance scams, which are just sad. And usually you said that it's usually somebody that has lost their spouse. Right, right. <clears throat> yes, sometimes they, um, the fraudsters will target people that, that are very vulnerable and uh, Sometimes they've lost a spouse or they've, um, they're, just, uh, they're just at an age where, you know, they're, they're looking to just have company. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and somehow, uh, and these, the way the fraudsters get introduced to these types of victims are through the, the matching sites, uh, you know, the dating sites. And, uh, and what they typically do is, of course, they send a photograph that is not who they are, and uh, who, the photograph is usually a very attractive person, mm-hmm. and, uh, and they convince this person that they are who's in the photograph. And, and usually what happens in those cases are the, um, the, the fraudster pitches the victim that he's, he's run into some kind of problem. Maybe he's, he's ended up in a hospital and needs... Uh, twenty thousand dollars to pay the medical bill, mm-hmm. and suddenly the victim will send twenty thousand dollars. And believe it or not, sometimes the victims are told and given directions on how to send it. And sometimes they'll send cash in in a cereal box to to their uh, to their hopeful love. <laughs> and, in a cereal uh, box. Yeah, real real money into a cereal box to the person that they hope 
they will be with it some you know eventually the love uh-huh. they help the love of their life so they end up following the directions because they're so smitten by by the uh, by the by this fraudster who they think is somebody somebody else yeah and often it's not just uh, they're not just communicating with email often the the romance scams involve telephone conversations and uh, and even with what's very interesting is even even when the victim can hear that the voice obviously sounds like it has an African accent, you cannot right. miss it, mm-hmm. then this person is claiming to be a, uh, you know, a U.S. serviceman, uh, you know, stationed in Afghanistan or, you know, really? so the... So so the victim really just wants to believe it and ends up sending money because they just want this to really happen because they're so lonely. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's awful. It really is. Um, not, not that losing a lot of money uh, other ways isn't awful, but right. this right. just adds another level of, of uh, sadness, I think. So, so how widespread is this, Ron? How yeah, it's... It's really it's 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 a, a worldwide problem. Um, we have we have been able to follow uh, through through records through bank records and so forth. We have been able to see how money the victims are from all over the United States. Uh, they're all ages. You know, one victim I spoke to from Southern California is an 80 year old man. Uh, another victim is uh, is 50s. You know, in Virginia, uh, another victim is 90 years old in Connecticut. Um, but in our in the course of looking at records, we can see that there's victims money going to to these fraudster accounts from victims in Mexico, in uh, in Europe. Um, it's just uh, from Asia. Uh, it's just. Uh, it's all over. I mean, it's really, it's really a billion-dollar uh, industry, and it's it's something that I've come to learn that Homeland Security here in the U.S. does is trying to work on it. Really, uh, I oh, heard one one official uh, in an interview say that that they took in uh, last year or the year before thirty six thousand complaints from victims really? of. A variation on this kind of fraud. In that case, it was like a lottery scam, but it's all—it's all the same pre- premise. It's all—it's—it's it's all fraudster stuff mm-hmm. uh, and all email stuff. Um, so it's really—and um, they really—the fact of the matter is, it, it's hard for law enforcement and government to get a handle on it because it's so widespread, and it's—and it's evolving. You know, we're in this like cyber crime, you know, uh, okay. phase and, and government and law enforcement is just trying to keep up with how to, how to kind of like track these guys. It's like uh, getting your hands around Jello. Exactly <laughs> so, right. <laughs> so, so is there a way to track this money, Ron? Can, can you actually find out where it goes? Yeah. As a matter of fact, it's, uh, it's not easy to do. Um, Part of the problem that we originally ran into was when, when, when the victims wire transfer money uh, to the fraudsters, they don't think it's going to the fraudsters, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
they're sending it often through a U.S. established bank. Okay. And, um, and when they when they make that when they make their when they do the wire transfer to that U.S. established bank, there's an account number. But but they're also told by the fraudsters to add another number, and that other number actually leads to the Fortzer's account. And that other number um, could be in uh, Asia. It could be mm-hmm. in uh, Eastern Europe. Um, and sometimes it can be in Africa. But interestingly enough, uh, in the course of our, the cases that we've come across, money doesn't often end up in actual in Nigeria or in Africa. Money has ended up in places like Cyprus, and places like Lebanon. Hmm. Um, so the challenge is now the money is in these banks overseas. How do you get, how do you try to recover money from these banks? And it's, it's just not very easy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things that's come up recently more and more is that banks are now being held more and more responsible for knowing their customer. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons that's come up is because various uh, criminal cartels like drug cartels and terrorist groups have used these, you know, these uh, <clears throat> banks to really launder their money. I was just going to ask you about that. Uh, I mean, we kind of think of this as being one individual to another, but I, it sounds like this is a, a great money-raising scheme, scheme right. for the terrorists, for example. What, with, without a doubt, it's um, yeah. I mean, it's uh, and 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 as a matter of fact, there was a recent case here in here in New York where uh, a bank here was uh, was held liable because they they ended up uh, supporting a terrorist group, Hamas, which is public information, mm-hmm. and um, and they were they were really hammered by by the court here. The jury actually found them guilty and. And they were hammered because the individual that was that was receiving this money was on a terrorist list. And wow. there's a list, for example, that's public information that's put out by the Department of the Treasury. It's called the uh, Office of Federal Asset Control, OFAC, and um, and banks have access to these lists, and they they really have a responsibility to check these lists. Uh, against the, their account holders. And in, in, the, in this particular case, uh, in the New York case, recent New York case, they hadn't done that. And that person was on that list, and they should have known about it, and they were hold, held liable, and they, they were penalized for it. Interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, d- does a victim actually have a chance to get their money back? Is that even possible? Well, it's, it's very difficult. And... <clears throat> But that is the process that we're we're actually developing, and and what we're trying to accomplish. Um, see, often the way the often the way the forces operate is money is sent lands in a European or Eastern European account or Asian account that's really a shell company. And what mm-hmm. the forces do is, after enough money gets into the account, whatever their figure is, let's say it's a half a million bucks, and they've had the account open for only a couple of weeks, 
They collect the half a million bucks, basically close the account and disappear with the money. Yeah. Yeah. So it's hard to track them. But we're, what we're also finding out, which has been very interesting to us, is that some legitimate companies in various foreign countries are accepting victims' money. And, um, and these are legitimate, established companies in some cases. And what we think is happening there is they're agreeing to, you know, for example, let's say they're, they're asked to accept a million dollars from, for these fraudsters, uh-huh. And for accepting a million dollars, they'll get 20%. So they end up with $200,000 for themselves, uh-huh. and they give the eight hundred grand to, uh, to, their, to the fraudsters, to, to the criminals. So what, what, what we're finding out is those companies that actually exist, we have an opportunity to possibly recover funds uh because we're going to we're going to go after their assets and uh and we have cases where we actually have legal actions in various countries that are pursuing these companies uh but it's very fluid ongoing and we'll see where it develops how it develops but and there you- is there is a possibility um, and th- also it's 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 important to mention that you know the cases that law enforcement works sometimes they can they can catch up with some of the fraudsters, right. but often it's, it's small-scale people. Um, to try to get to the, to the criminal network is really very challenging. But one positive thing that's come up, uh, Nigeria itself has recognized you know, what an outrage this is, and they don't appreciate the reputation they've received mm-hmm. either. Uh, because of this fraud. So they established a pretty effective uh, fraud-combating agency, investigative agency. It's called the EFCC, Economic Fraud Commission. Uh And and those guys are pretty effective. In fact, you can go on their site, and they are pretty relentless. And it seems like the head of that that organization is uh, he'll go after anybody within government or outside of government and uh, and I know for a fact for example that several of their investigators have been trained at the FBI Academy interesting yeah yeah so uh, they seem to be a pretty reputable group um, and they are they're willing to cooperate with any law enforcement agency or uh, I'm sure any private arm we haven't we haven't found it necessary to reach out to them at this stage of our process, but we know they're there if we need them. Well, in the video you sent me, they go in full force like any any highly trained tactical squad, and they're right. all over those guys. <laughs> they really do. They're, they seem to be pretty aggressive, and uh, and they Scary don't like they don't like the reputation their country is getting, and uh, and good for them that they're being this uh, proactive about it. Well, you know what I thought? What I found was interesting, though, Ron, is when they were escorting these guys out and loading up up into vans, and there were, I don't know, there were probably thirty or forty of them that they were loading up. The right. people on the streets, and there were thousands of people on the streets just milling around. As you know, this is a right. highly populated urban area. They were angry and screaming and throwing things at them. Right. Yeah, it's an interesting. You know, it's an interesting thing about the culture. Uh, there, uh, it's a very poor country. Um, 
from what I understand, I mean, making 10 bucks a week is a lot of money in that country. Um, and, and, and I've heard some of these Nigerian fraudsters say that part of their feeling is, is that they're going after Westerners because Westerners have the money. And, um, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and, I, and I actually heard a quote of another Fortster who, who said that, uh, you know, pay back for the slave trade. This is what, yeah. this was his quote. Mm. So they, uh, you know, the poor uh, that are associated with people that, that do this kind of crime, um, they, uh, they can be supportive, supportive of it. But the reality is, from what I understand, is that even the poor in their country that are in, engaging in this are not really benefiting as much as really the, you know, the hierarchy of the criminal organizations who have right. mansions. And, uh, you know, it's just like the drug cartels. Exactly. You know, the, the mules make peanuts, but the, but the big guys actually, they live the life of, uh, you know, the high life. Yeah, I was thinking that when I was watching this, what looks like a, a Boilermaker kind of a setup uh, with right. a whole bunch of guys in a room at desks with telephones and thinking they're probably making pennies. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. If they get, I mean, their, their role is really to, in those internet cafes, to just send out thousands and thousands of emails. Mm-hmm. And if they get a bite, uh, we believe that what happens is, is that they pass it on to somebody more sophisticated. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then they work it, and uh, and you know, and they just develop from there. And the whole idea is to keep you on the hook, and, so, and not Ron, let you. you... Okay, go... I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, that's okay. No, I just uh, I was just saying that the whole idea is to keep you on the hook, and not really let you off that hook until you have exhausted all your money. And often they do that; they accomplish that. You know, retirees will lose the, their entire life savings. Um, you know, businessmen will lose literally millions getting caught up in, you know, just trying to get that, that final payoff. You know, it's just, it's just amazing. Well, so you have a live case right now or, or more than one live case, right. correct? Correct. So how, how does a private investigator get involved? Well, the, um, the, role, the role for us is, uh, you know, typically with law enforcement, their, their interest, uh, for good reason, is to go after the bad guys and see if they can catch them. And if they can catch them, see if they can recover some money. Uh, but in the private side, our, you know, our pursuit, you know, our, our clients really are more interested in the money. Mm-hmm. Um, can can you get any can you recover any of my funds? So that's really that's really what our role is. Our role is to analyze the documents, analyze the wire transfers, uh, track down, uh, go from account to account to account to see where the money ultimately lands, and then once we figure out where it ultimately lands, find out what the judicial processes in that particular uh, country to try to recover the money. But how do you get the banks to, you know we're going to take a break a minute, but let me put this question out here. How do you get the banks to cooperate? 
Sure. Well, it, it, there's actually there's, there's a way to, to subpoena bank records. Uh, I mean, they won't just give them to you if you ask. Right. They <laughs> but, don't, but unfortunately. But there is a process to get them subpoenaed. Yeah. Okay. So that means you have to have a lawsuit filed. That's correct. You have to, right, you have to file, you have to file a case with a foreign government's investigative agency, and with that active case number, a lawyer in the U.S. can then go to a federal district court and ask uh, the judge to give you a subpoena so that you can get back records for a U.S. bank, which will assist you as well as the foreign investigative agency, because the foreign agency doesn't have enough the authority to subpoena U.S. banks. Okay, we got to take a break, Ron. Sorry, this is so interesting. We'll be right back with Ron Alvarez. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. IRB Focus, created by IRB Search, brings together the best data in an entirely new system. New features and data, all in a responsive format, gives professional investigators a better tool to close cases. The Just Launch Connections Network even gives secure opportunities for collaboration and job referrals. Learn more about IRB Focus at irbsearch.com or call us at one 800 447-2112 to get started. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to PIs Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to F R A N C I E at PISDeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Back to discuss the fraud scammers known as the 419 with New York PI Ron Alvarez. Ron, the uh, 419 comes from a Nigerian law, doesn't it, um, regarding 
defending, uh, defrauding somebody by false pretexts. That's exactly right, Francie. That's in their that's their criminal statute for fraud. For, yeah. Yep. And it just it it has come to apply to anybody in any country that is doing this kind of a scam. Yep, exactly right. It's just a term that's now you know broadly used to to uh, to identify that this kind of a scam. Exactly right. Yep. Okay. So we were just talking about how, uh, I mean, you have live cases. Um, you said that 18 months ago you had no idea of what the process would be in something like this because it just sounds so complicated. So tell us yeah. how a private investigator can help a victim of this scam. Right. Well, um, there, there's a um, one way of being of assistance and um, <clears throat> is – Getting back to <clears throat> tracking the money, that's, that's one key to this process. <clears throat> but also, um, part, of, part of the process that we have found is, is learning um, how banks, uh, let's say U.S. banks, could be held liable uh, or responsible for processing this money. Mm-hmm. But we, what we came to learn in the U.S. is <clears throat> the fraudsters never actually had an account. In all the cases that, all the victims that we've spoken to, <clears throat> in cases we've worked, the fraudsters never actually had an account with a, a U.S. bank. What they do is, U.S. banks are used as what they call correspondence banks or intermediary banks. And they're basically just accepting the money and processing it to wherever it ends up, which could be in Eastern Europe, uh, as I mentioned before, Cyprus, Lebanon. Mm-hmm. It could end up in China. Um, <clears throat> so, so it's been challenging for us to try to, try to um, develop a case that we could t- build against a bank. Because in order to build it against a bank, from what I've heard from the attorneys, because I'm not a lawyer, uh, but what they've told us is that you have to prove that the banks had aided and abetted the fraud, mm-hmm. which means that they had to have known that, you know, that this money was going to, you know, an account that was a fraudster's account. So essentially the bank's not doing their due diligence. <clears throat> you can make that argument. Uh, okay. Absolutely. Um, okay. They would make the argument that it's not our job to do because we don't really have the account holder information. That's their, that's their feeling. We're just the mm-hmm. corresponding bank. Uh, so, but, but going forward, because there's been a lot of change here where banks are, were claiming they didn't have responsibility and the courts are holding them responsible, we'll see. Going forward, it may turn out that uh, the banks that are used as corresponding banks in the U.S. might start to be held responsible. If it's a U.S. bank that actually has an account, then, then you, could, you could hold them, they could be liable if, for example, they accept money into this, they, they have an account holder who's on the terrorist watch list. Mm-hmm. If, if mm-hmm. he's on that list, then they should not have that account and no money should go into it and they should terminate it. So, uh, but that's a very direct way to, but, uh, so it's been 
our process has basically been, we haven't been able to build anything against the U.S. banks because they're all corresponding banks, but the banks overseas where actual legitimate companies are receiving victims' uh, money, those are, the, those are the banks that we are going after. Okay, yeah. so, in, so in the case you're working on, um, you have... Uh, you have attorneys in the United States, in New York, and then you have an attorney in a foreign country that has agreed to take that end of it. Exactly right. The, attor- the attorney overseas is actually coordinating with um, attorneys in various countries, and he's kind of, he's kind of coordinating it, it for us there. And then we have several banking attorneys uh, here in New York that are handling... Uh, the U.S. side of of the uh, the investigation. Exactly right. So, are well, who's paying these people? Are are they are all these attorneys doing it pro bono? No, no, uh, no. They're being paid. They're being paid by the uh, by the victims. Um, wow. Yeah. There's a um, there. There's a victim that still has assets. Mm-hmm. and um, is willing to pay for this investigation. Um, and is angry enough that they want to seek justice. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. um, <laughs> exactly right. And, uh, and the truth of the matter is, Francie, that um, if, if he didn't have the resources, then, then we, would not, we wouldn't yeah. be able to pursue this. Exactly. I mean, yeah. No doubt and about it. And probably that's what happens to most people. Most victims aren't going to have any assets left. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, they just they just wipe they just wipe you out. I was talking to a a gentleman in Texas, and he's the uh, Vietnamese descent, a Vietnamese immigrant, and he uh, owns a hair salon. And uh, the the fraud ended very quickly for him because after he had sent about ten thousand dollars. Um, he literally had no money, and and he had no money. It, it happened to be around Christmas time, and he had no money to buy his children Christmas gifts. So uh, so he uh, said that I, you know, I stopped immediately. I mean, I had no money, so they stopped calling me because they'll stop calling you when they're convinced mm-hmm. that you have no money. Mm-hmm. But I was talking to an old timer in in California who kept on sending money over a 12-year period, mm. and um, this is where his, his wife, you know, couldn't convince him that he was being defrauded, and he actually, he actually trusted the people he was dealing with. He really... Amazing. Yeah, and, and what was interesting about our conversation is that I had to ask him, I said, sir, you, you realize that you are being defrauded. I hope When's the last time you spoke to these people? Because I thought it had been for a couple of years. Oh, I spoke to them a couple of weeks ago. Mm. And I said, you know, Mr. You know, Mr. Whatever, um, you know, you're being defrauded. They're fraudsters. They, they're not government or company officials. You, you know, I would recommend you stop talking to them. So uh, I hope he took our advice on that. Is, but, is this the same guy that went to the bank? And everybody was trying to talk him out of it, including the bank when he's withdrawing the money. Yeah, actually, no. That was a, that was a victim in Idaho, 
and uh, that's where he he dragged his uh, he dragged his wife down because uh, it was a joint account that they had, and uh, and he wants to wire transfer this money to the fraudsters, and the bank officer is trying to tell him not to do it, and uh, he still insisted on doing it. And what's bizarre about his story is that he was a very sick man, um, and he um, he was invited to London, um, and the Fortsters invited him because they thought they could get more money out of him, but he had no money, but he went to try to get what he had already invested, mm-hmm. and they dropped him off on some kind of a side street in London. He had no money to get back home, back to the U.S., Wow. So he was taken to the U.S. consulate, and, and the U.S. government actually uh, flew him back home, uh, and he died shortly after that incident. Uh, so it's, uh, the stress died, is unbelievable. And he uh, died of a broken heart, I'm sure. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, just so, terrible. And so even in one case, Francie, which is also amazing to us, we had a, a Virginia victim that we spoke to um, who... See, often the funds go through, you know, a bank name that you can call just to find out if the people that claim to be associated with this bank actually exist there. Right. But the Fortsters tell them don't call the bank because of this or that, so they don't call. But this particular victim actually called, and they told her she was being defrauded. She still... Uh, emails the forces and said, you know, this is what they told me on the bank, at the bank, and what's going on here? And the forces ended up convincing her that the real bank didn't know what they were talking about, and she kept on sending money. So it's, it's beyond what happens to your thinking. It's just like beyond, uh, it's, it's just, again, that they have so much invested that they just cannot accept that they have lost all that money. So they just want it to be true that this was a real deal and that they're going to finally get their payoff, you know, but it doesn't happen that way. Some kind of psychological mind control evidently must Yes. Yeah, it truly, it truly is. We believe it's a brainwashing job, and um, I mean, it, it's really, it runs deep, and they're very, how they, how they really kind of infiltrate your mind and how you how the, the victims actually become, really, they, they, they come to trust these fraudsters. They feel like family or friends. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. and it just goes on and on. So we're almost at the end of our hour, Ron. This has been so instructive. What would you advise to somebody that uh, may be listening to the show that thinks maybe they're a victim? Maybe they've been sucked into this. What would you say to them? Well, um, the, first, the first recommendation absolutely would be to stop communicating with the fraudsters. That's number one. Um, we would also recommend that you report it to law enforcement, and, uh, and maybe they can help you in that regard. Maybe they can take a case. If you have the funds to you know, uh, retain a private investigator, then that private investigator can do what we're doing to try to track the money and see if some of the money can be recovered. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for anybody that receives an email uh, with it's too good to be true pitch, mm-hmm. with misspellings that are very obvious, um, yeah. 
just um, just do not answer it because that's the key for them. Even if you answer out of curiosity, they know they've got you. And, and for example, one of one of our victims communicated with them for a year and a half before he actually sent any money. So they worked him for a year and a half before they finally convinced him through all the documents and all the pitches and and all the, the official looking checks yeah. that this was his money. Yeah. Uh, so the idea is don't respond to it. Don't respond. Okay. Oh, that's good advice, Ron. Thank you so much. You are becoming the expert on 4119 scammers. So thank you for being on the show. Thank you for educating all of us. And to the rest of you, tune in next week again as we declassify more real stories from real investigators. I will be broadcasting from Louisville, Kentucky next week. It's FI's Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to P.I.'s Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel. 